Okay, all right. So today we are going to finish the fourth, basically finish the series on logic, which we started, um, well, a while ago. Uh, this one is a little bit more difficult, okay? This is probably the most esoteric out of the other four. Um, so we're gonna, I'm gonna try to take this a little bit more slowly than I have, you know, in, in other sessions. So I know when I get excited, I tend to speak quickly. I start to speak really fast. So if it's too fast, just raise your hand, touch your nose. I don't know, I'll, I'll figure it out and uh, I'll try to slow down. Um, but before we get, so communication, especially within human beings, is essential for knowledge. It's essential for, I mean, interaction. It's essential for sharing ideas and understanding the world around us. The, the, the distinction and the difference between the communication, we see dogs barking at each other. You know, we see whales, even whales will sing together and they'll come together and they'll do these dances. It's really beautiful. Elephants call each other. These different animals kind of have these ways of communicating somewhat, but not coherently and not, you know, dogs don't come together and talk about dogginess or how to understand logic or discuss the history of, you know, ideas or anything. So the distinction, which is very important the dominion of man over create, creation is important at the outset to distinguish, okay? Man has dominion on the earth. The more we equate man to animals, the more we degrade God's image in ourselves. okay? It's great to have pets and to love them, but like the idea of a pet being a child kind of a thing, I think goes a bit too far. Um, that kind of a thing. I think, you know, we are given dominion over uh, all creation. So we ought to love them and treat them well, but uh, ultimately um, they are uh, mere animals. So with that, somewhat of a prelude. So, okay, here we go. All right, early in the 20th century, there, was, there, be, there began a controversy, really a controversy over language. Uh, and specifically, what's known, what came to be known as the God Talk controversy. Okay, basically on how can anybody adequately, as we discussed when we first introduced apologetics, how can anybody adequately explain or discuss the, a transcendent being, a being that, you know, is, is well, transcendent. Um, out of this came a, 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 an ideolo ideology known as theothanatology. Now, we've been looking at etymology. I'm giving you the translation of thanatos, which is death, can anybody tell you, tell me what that means then? No, almost. Now break these down. Theo, thanatology. We've seen this word without the thanato, and what did that mean? Study of. Well, we know that ology is the study of. What is theo? Remember? Anybody remember what theo is? No. It's God. So this is what's called the death of God movement. Really started in the 60s. Uh, I mean, it goes back to Nietzsche. It's not, but it really got emphasized in the 60s. Now, during this crisis, uh, there came another ide ideology known as logical positivism. And that's where we looked at the principle of verification. They came up with the principle of verification or the law of verification, which remember, it says any statement are only statements which are only 
only true statements are true if they can be empirically verified. And what they're really looking, what they're really trying to do is basically anything you can't um, know out of your sense perception isn't reliable. Okay, and and we'll break that down. Uh, but out of this, and this is to, t uh, to really as far as the proof of God's existence. Again, what they're saying is. We can't adequately, we can't at all speak of a transcendent being because God's existence, ultimately, if, if, the, if the principle of verification, because, you know, it wasn't long before somebody realized, like we realized, you know, for a statement to be true only if it's empirically verified, well, that statement would fall on its own weight. Remember we saw that? And that, that got realized, but this, this, this idea didn't die with that. Okay, it kept it kept on continuing, and ultimately, what they're they're pointing to is God's existence is unverifiable and unfalsifiable. Okay, now to verify something isn't all that difficult. If I were to say there's gold in Alaska, it, all I would have to do is go to Alaska and find a little gold there, and I verified. We all know what it means to verify, coming from the uh, Latin word veritas to make to find to be true. Um, so it's easier to verify. Unfalsifiable is very important. A lot of Christians will be very confident in certain, certain ideas because they're unfalsifiable. You can't prove they're not true. And we'll look at that here in a second. Um, but it's important that we realize that uh, just because something can't be falsified doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Okay. Um, for example... Um, if I were to um, think of, let me think of something. Um, if I were to say I believe in ghosts, and somebody says to me, you know, did you have you ever seen a ghost? No, but I believe they're there. Have you ever, you know, has, has any scientific equipment been able to pick up the the existence of ghosts? No, but that there's a reason for that. You know, it, it, ghosts ha hate scientists. So anytime a ghost, you know, anytime a scientist comes around with their equipment, the ghost takes off. And so, you know, we can't verify scientifically that ghosts exist, but ghosts do exist. But, you know, we have this problem. So it's unfalsifiable, but it's built into the premise. OK, that's what we call cheating in theoretical thought. You know, if, if you set up in the premise that it can't be verified at all, that's that's just cheating. You know, if I said there were men made out of green cheese on the other side of the moon. There's no way to prove that doesn't exist because the other side of the moon is always dark. That kind of a thing. Um, so it's, uh, again, so it's easier to verify empirically, but, but it's not so with logic. Okay, so it's easy, to, like I said, going back to the uh, gold in Alaska, um, it's easy to verify that, but it's not the same with logic. If, 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 uh, if a statement is uh, contradictory, we recognize that, and that's not so difficult to, to uh, realize. Um, but with, uh, with uh, empirically, so with uh, verifiable empirically, empirical data, again, let, so let's go back to the gold in Alaska. And, you, you know, it's easy to verify. And all I got to go is get one speck of gold in Alaska. But let's say I say there's no gold in Alaska. Now, what, what do you have to do? You, somebody has to go out, start digging into Alaska to find to try to find some gold. Now, how much of Alaska would they have to dig? All of it. Every square inch of Alaska. Every tiny little bit. 
And now let's say, so they, they go, they excavate the entire, uh, you know, uh, state of Alaska. They're throwing it in their sieves and they come back and say, you know, we, we proved without a doubt that, you know, there's no gold in Alaska. And I say, well, wait a minute. How do you know? You know, when you were not up there, you know, near Anchorage or whatever, you know, when one of your guys, when they were, you know, uh, threshing out this through the sift and everything, a piece of gold didn't fall down. You might want to go check again. And we can do this over really forever. So it's much easier to verify empirically than uh, falsify. So what we're what they're getting at is since we have no empirical data proving God's existence, Therefore, belief is merely emotive. Okay, so when I say I believe in God, I'm not saying anything about a being who exists outside of myself. I'm telling you how I feel. That's what they're saying, okay? And the way I'm going to illustrate this is an old friend of mine. I'm sure many of y'all remember him. Uh, he he uh, came to stay with us for a time. He was having some uh, trouble some, you know, some issues in life. And he came to stay with us for a time. And this was uh, shortly after uh, Sarah and I became believers. And he, he asked me something to the effect of, uh, you know, we're, ta we're talking about God. And he asked me something to the effect of, you know, do you, do, you know, do you go to church? Do you read your Bible? Do you sing hymns? To and I said, yes, of course I do. I, mean, I find them very meaningful. And he says, well, I don't feel like I have to go to church, and I don't enjoy reading my Bible, and I have no interest in you know, singing hymns to God. And so for me, God does not exist. I said, I said, we're not talking about the same thing here. And he asked, you know, what do you mean? And I said, what I'm saying is, the being who I'm talking about exists entirely apart from myself. So if that being exists, or if that being doesn't exist, all of my praying, all of my singing, all of my reading my books, all of my going to church doesn't have the power to create him, okay? At the same time, if he does exist, all of your denial, all of your disinterest in going to church, all of your disinterest in the Bible doesn't have the power to annihilate him, okay? So it's not, this, this, is, this is very important and this is actually something we need to take into the church as well, okay? Because people will think, that they can have whatever doctrine or whatever belief in Christ that they want to have. And like, it's just totally subjective. The truth, it's particularly in his church, is objective. It is based on what he has done, based on what he has said, based on what the Bible has given to us. Okay, it's not subjective. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and dislike. Okay, and that's something that happens regularly in the church. And we're going to see that when we get into the Bible study. So the cause, the, so you've got to wonder, right? You know, when, when, when all this stuff uh, is coming out and, and even the effects in our culture, what started all this, you know? And really what led into this really f uh, was following the enlightenment, uh, where philosophers and the uh, theologians tried to explain God in naturalistic terms. You know, they're kind of, a, because the main, uh, uh, the main idea coming out of the Enlightenment is the God hypothesis is no longer necessary to explain the universe or even human life, okay? Because they came up with what's called the philosopher's spontaneous gener generation. And the theologians, and we'll look at that. We'll look at that some other time. It's basically 
uh, everything coming into existence, just popping into existence out of nothing, a spontaneous generation. It's interesting because the scientists later said, well, that's silly. Nothing just pops into existence. So they came up with gradual generation, not spontaneous generation. Nothing can come from nothing quickly. If nothing comes from nothing, it's got to take some time. It's really interesting. Anyway, uh, uh, so the theologians in that day, too, started criticizing supernaturalism. So they would start taking every supernatural act out of the Bible and only see God only in naturalistic terms, only in those which can be empirically verified. So uh, Christ's miracles, were the, the incarnation was done away with. Uh, um, his, walk, his resurrection was done away with, okay? And we'll kind of get to that. Um, because, so what happened, even especially during the Enlightenment, many people started getting very militant against the, uh, um, against the existence of God, particularly the French encyclopedias of those days, which were largely written by a guy named Diderot, who called himself the personal enemy of God. Can you... Anyway, um, so in this vacuum is really where the, the God talk controversy started, then the, the death of God movement, uh, logical positive positive positivism, and all of that. Okay, now, what happened after, after this and after the principle of verification, theologians were trying to answer and respond uh, to this criticism. And as well-intentioned as they were, what happened was, largely what happens oftentimes, when you try to correct one error, you end up making a bigger error trying to answer it. And that's what happens here. Uh, so what, what people started uh, referring to God as is holy other. Remember, we briefly discussed that at the beginning of uh, our apologetic series. Um, Karl Barth was a, one of the main fa uh, factors of that. We spoke about him a little bit, um, I believe, on the, on the session on ontology. I can't remember, but I know we've spoken about him briefly. So he opposed natural... Rep well... Natural revelation insofar as how Aquinas uh, approached it, and, and he gave it. And we'll look at that here in a second. And rationalism. Rationalism is coming up with truth without any empirical data. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, so you basically using the law of contradiction. You don't have to see or sense anything, but if, if, uh, if you know a statement con contradicts with itself, you know that statement isn't true, and that would be a form of rationalism. That's a small form of rationalism, but that even that can come to an extreme. So he rejected that. Um, and so basically only what they were saying was only revelation, the Bible, uh, human history, um, and Christ is the only way to uh, speak adequately um, about God. Um, and ultimately what this came out as is called eminentistic. It, okay, it, it basically it's pantheism. Remember, we briefly looked at pantheism, which basically says all is God and God is all. Okay. Now, if you think about that for a second and break that down linguistically, if God is all and all is God, then the term God ceases to have any meaning. If God is everything in general then he's nothing in particular. Does that make sense? There's no way to distinguish 
him from, you know, if we talk about everything else in, is in particular, if he's just everything in general, then he's nothing in particular. Does that make sense? Does it? Yeah. Um, okay. So what, uh, what, um, now what is interesting about this is the problem that, uh, that these people encountered is, so what they would say is rejecting, um, classical, uh, the theism, classical Christian theology, um, is so if God is wholly other, basically totally abstract, totally separated from us. And so we can't, we can't speak at all, uh, you know, intelligibly or coherently about him because he's totally other. Well, and, and so you, if you ask somebody like that, you know, so if he's wholly other, then how does he tell you anything about himself? And they'll be quick to say, well, he reveals himself in, you know, the Bible and in history and through Christ. And that still doesn't answer the question, because if God is wholly other, whatever revelation we may or may not think we have, if he is wholly other, those still break down and aren't adequate for us to understand him. If we have no link to him, no matter what we call these supposed links, if we have no link to him, there, is, there are no links to him. If he is completely apart from us, the Bible isn't a link. If he's apart, completely apart from us, the uh, human history isn't a link. If he's completely apart from us, Christ is not a link. And that's crucial. Okay? And this has, the, the, that movement has started to turn. So, I mean, we're, we're looking at a good shift uh, so to speak, in that respect, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. What Karl Barth was, uh, one of the things he emphasized as well, Aquinas came, came up with, here we go, here's another, here's some more Latin, uh, analogia entis. So that's basically the an analogy of being, okay? So we're talking about the analogy of language, he's talking about the analogy of being. So, and remember, we, that's why we briefly kind of looked at the ontology on our sec, second session. Okay, so this is, this is an analogy. So a linking, a, a likeness, not, not, a, not a reflection, not a perfect mirrored image, but a likeness, a similarity enough between beings, the being of God, and our beings for there, be, for there, to, for there to have um, a link. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Um, so he was attacking that, uh, but Bart's criticism makes God unknowable, which is what I was saying. You know, if, if, if there's utterly no link and if there's no analogy of being, if there's no similarity between us and God, we can know nothing about him. No matter Bible, no matter Christ, no matter history, no matter anything. Okay. And that's, again, this is crucial. Again, we are doing this so that we can see this in other areas down the road. Okay. And this is the only way I could kind of show you. Um, so, now, if you think about, well, I gotta, I'm sure none of y'all have seen the movie Cool Hand Luke. I'm, do you remember Cool Hand Luke? Yeah. Um, what was his name? Newton. Uh, Paul, Paul uh, Newman. Uh, was, uh, he played Luke, in, which was the Christ figure of the movie. Uh, but one of the lines that came out of that was, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And it's just, it's just lasted and it's just... It's just funny. I don't know why I wanted to add that. But so we also think uh, we also recognize that there are different languages specifically. Like if we were to go to I don't know, Russia, you know, and, and I know no Russian 
and the Russian has knows no English, and and let's say we're trying to communicate to each other, we I mean he just sounds like gibberish. And let's say especially if they like tie our hands, we can't you know draw anything or make some sort of impression as to what we're talking about. We have no means of communication. We're we're we are speaking two completely different languages. Um, uh, where was I? Oh, but let's talk about even in our own language. Now, what? Because I know this is your favorite. What is that? What is what is Nana sitting on? A chair. A chair, right? Okay. Now, if you think about it, how do we? We see all these different chairs in the world. Now, every one of us has a different experience with chairs. Okay, y'all are much younger than us. Mom, you know, is, has seen far more chairs than we have, and maybe some which we wouldn't even categorize as chairs now, you know, because they change so much from generation to generation. So, when I think of a chair, when I'm talking about chair, a chair, I'm actually talking about something different than what you think about when you think about chair, because your experience is different than mine. Now, to the extent those, those experiences are different, we have miscommunication, okay? Uh, however, insofar as that, but they're so closely similar, they're, close, they're so closely like each other that the distinction is pretty much irrelevant. You know, even if there is a breakdown of communication, that's easily remedied with something like a chair. But it's important to recognize that even though we have different experiences, and so maybe we have a different idea of what these things are, we still have these similar links so close to each other that we can speak coherently to each other. Does that make sense? Even about something like a chair. I'm sure you enjoyed that. Um, um, so also like the word omnipotence. Okay. Now, so that's, that means all powerful. Now, I don't know what all powerful means. I've never seen that, but I do know what power is. And I've also seen gradations of power. I've seen, you know, uh, slight power and I've seen great power. I've never seen all power, but at least there's a link there. I can, I can take power and at least kind of imagine what uh, all power would look like. There's at least that link. There's not an exhaustive link. I, I can't know that fully. I can't see that even in my mind. Um, uh, okay. Um, so, real quickly. So what quite so this breakdown in language really didn't even start in the 19th and 20th century. This has been an ongoing deal, uh, but this this came to be more um, uh, um, accepted before all this. Even the skeptics were convinced, and 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 they saw theism as very realistic. They were very convinced by the cosmological argument, which remember we looked at briefly the causal argument. Um, so, but, um, but, so what he was doing was he basically defined three types of language, languages. There are three different ways to break down language. Okay. This is, this isn't difficult. Uh, one is univocal or univocal. I don't know why people pronounce it that way. I like univocal. Uh, so this, this, this is basically a one-to-one -one relationship. All right. So if we both had the same experience with chairs, and we spoke about a chair, it'd be perfectly one-to-one, -one. okay? They're the exact same, okay? Equivocal, equivocal language means the term, the, the, ter the meaning of the term, so let's say chair, dramatically changes, 
And the way I like, or the way I've uh, seen this illustration that I like, uh, and so I'm going to use it, is I want to prove to you, and I've done it with y'all before, but I want to prove to you that cats have nine tails. The way I'm going to do that is with my under my first premise is no cat has eight tails. Do you agree with that? Does everybody agree with that? No cat has eight tails, right? Okay. So let's say I had two boxes. We have two boxes right here, right? We got a cat in this box, and we have nothing in this box. Empty box, cat, you know, one cat in this box, right? So how many cats are in this box? One. How many tails are in this box? One. Okay. How many cats are in this box? None. Okay. So if we're going to, we add these two. So what we're going to say is this box has one more. T so one cat has one more tail than no cat. Because again, the other box has no cat, right? So we take those. So one cat has one more tail than no cat, right? So we take those, we add them together. We have one cat. And if you, you have one cat with one tail and no cat has eight tails, then QED, you know, one plus eight is nine. You see what I see what happened there? Now what happened You're during that? Yeah. yeah, the term no cat changes. Where in the beginning, it means the absence of a cat. Where in the end, it basically means the existence of, a, you know, nothing having eight tails. It's just cute. So that's, uh, that's one, uh, um, and that's what's called the fallacy of equivocation, okay? Uh, where you make them so differential where they, they cease to mean the same thing on other sides. But we do this with other words that we, you know, we, we understand. So like the word cool really means cold to the touch or cooler to the touch, right? We use this on all sorts of stuff, you know? That, that shirt is cool. I mean, I'm not saying that that shirt is cold to the touch, right? Uh, but we, we, we know that. Um, but it does mean something completely different than, what, than its or, original meaning, right? Okay. But, and what Aquinas came up with is basically a middle ground, a happy middle. Uh, and that's called the analogical, uh, basically an analogical term. So this, basically this, mean, this is the meaning of the term changes in proportion to the being being discussed, okay? And so, um, uh, um, so, okay, let's use this one. Yeah, good, I'm glad I put some examples. So, let's think of Hazel. We've got, we've got a dog. She's a great dog, right? She's a good dog. We've got a good dog, right? She comes when she calls, or when we call her. Uh, she, you know, is housebroken. She, you know, doesn't bite the mailman in the leg. She's a good dog, right? Right? Everybody agrees she's a good dog. Now, if I were to say Jay is a good man, does that mean he comes when I call him, he doesn't bite the mailman in the leg, <laughs> and he's housebroken? No. We all mean, we all know those, those, those terms mean two different things, but based on the being, we understand the differences, right? A good dog, the good, the term good with a dog is completely different than the term good with humans, right? right. Okay, we see that. So those are the three basic uh, differences of, um, of, uh, of languages. Um, so same thing where I illustrated this before. If I say I love lamb and then I say I love Sarah, again, it's the difference of the beings being discussed. Okay. Um, Okay, so the link to God, though, in particular, 
He has made us in his likeness, and thereby we can know him fully, not fully, but not exhaustively. We can know him fully, as full as that link is, we cannot know him exhaustively. Okay? Does that make sense? That's pretty much, it's pretty much the breakdown. Um, one of, uh, one of the uh, things I wanted to mention during this, because again, the breakdown language is uh, really important. A lot of people will ask, can God make a rock too heavy for him to lift? Can anybody answer that? He can? So he can, he can create a rock he cannot exist. If he has the power to create, he should also have power to lift the rock. Hmm? Well, let's just say it's a hypothetical. Uh, can he? Is he is he capable of making a rock uh, too heavy for him to lift? No. 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 The the ability of God and the omnipotence of God doesn't. So remember the law of contradiction. That would mean he would have to be powerful powerful enough to create a great thing, but then not powerful enough to do anything about it afterward. And that's yeah. I mean that's not God, and that's a contradiction. See. It's important that we recognize these because people will think they're, you know, uh, um, dropping the existence of God based on a silly idea like that. Okay. And, and people will find it very difficult to answer. You know, that's, that's fine. You just, you know, we've got to uh, think through these things. The way I want to conclude, Malcolm Muggeridge was a 20th century uh, journalist. He was uh, big in getting Mother Teresa well known, actually. Uh, he was a British man. Uh, he came to Christ later on. Uh, he was a, actually a British spy during World War II. Uh, but I wanted to share something he wrote, um, and then I wanted to talk about it for a little bit. It goes like this. This is towards the end of one of his articles. So the final conclusion would surely be that whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without, ours has the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions and then providing them with facilities for propagating their destructive ideology far and wide, all at the public expense. This, thus did Western man decide to abolish himself, creating his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, uh, himself blowing the trumpet that brought the walls of his own city tumbling down, and having convinced himself that he was too numerous, labored with pill and scalpel and syringe to make himself fewer, until at last, having educated... I love this line. Until at last, having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he keeled over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and became extinct. Okay. This, okay. What he's saying is, you know, in, in the history of the world, people had to worry about enemies from without. I mean, you know, you would have uh, betrayers and everything within the nation, but there were always enemies outside the gates, so to speak, that you're always scared of. What he's saying is, what Western man is becoming is destroying himself. We've we are educating ourselves into imbecility. We we I know we've talked about this, and I'm just, this is one of the examples though. We have our technology has advanced so fast. So quick, and, 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 and any knowledge, though, is like at our fingertips. But we use these things for nonsense. You know, like I've said, these, these have become a distraction. And even with these, you know, especially the social media platforms, which can be a very good thing. 
but you're filled with all this nonsense. So you're, and we're just educating ourselves into imbecility. We'll, we'll, we'll see these uh, great thinkers, these great philosophical thinkers. I can think of some that I'm not going to name, but, but that are, they, they, they speak a lot of truth very eloquently, very great, but the, the breakdown of truth is devastating. So what they get wrong, and it's easy to miss the mistake. So we just take all of that great truth and, and don't take into consideration ultimately how that breaks down, and we accept it. And we just accept it, and that's, that's, that's imbecile. That's, 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 that's nonsense. We, we, as we continue in, in, in this course of study in particular, and even especially as we look at the resurrection uh, coming, we see ourselves in 2023, and we just think that's all there is. We just, you know, phones have existed forever. We just take the, you know, this is what we do. This is our life. This is our world. This is our existence. And we don't think outside of that. Remember, you know, we were thinking about considering yourself and, and, and all of that. We need to take the whole paradigm of reality. Okay, we need to look at reality. We need to look at history. We, look, we need to look at our own experience through a true and verifiable lens, okay? In particular, the Bible, but in, in also theoretical thought. This is going to help us recognize truth from or falsehood from truth, uh, and distinguish right and wrong. Okay, that's basically the breakdown. That's that's not too difficult, right? Are there any questions? Yeah. All right.